Hallelujah. Well, we get to look at the scriptures now. Let us feed on the word. Let us feed on the word now. Lord, stir it up in us. Speak to us, Lord. Speak afresh to us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 We've been going through the book of Acts. How many of you have enjoyed Acts? I mean, the activation of the Holy Spirit. This has been awesome. Last week, we looked at two people who were false witnesses. They said they did this much when really they only did this much. We had two people who were false witnesses and whose life was taken from them early. Now, I've been, I don't know about you, but I've been convicted this week. Like, I'm thinking of all the times I've said I've done this much when really I've only done this much. Or I've put on a mask. Oh, we're good at doing that at church, aren't we? I'm doing great. Putting on a smile. Oh, the Lord has been doing this in my life. He's been taking off masks. He, I've been rejecting the Pharisee spirit, the religious spirit. Take off masks in me, O oh Lord. I repent. And he is freeing me. He's setting me free. I can live honest. I can live with integrity. I don't need to say I do this much when really I'm here. I got guys in my life I'm confessing with, living in integrity with. I thank God for that. So we looked at two false witnesses last week whose life was taken from them early. Today I want to look at one witness who was a true witness. And yet his life was also taken early. This is the guy of Stephen. You turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, or you can look in your journals, Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the guy Stephen. The context of this is that the apostles, there was growing number of disciples. I think we're up to 50 to 75,000 disciples. We saw that in Acts chapter 5. There's like all these signs and wonders that are happening. People are coming to Jesus. Well, they were neglecting the widows. And they needed to find people that would take care of the widows. So they found five guys. And Stephen was one of them. And Philip was the second one. And then three other guys. Stephen is the one we're going to look at today. Next week we'll look at Philip. But today we want to look at Stephen. And I love the descriptions that Acts 6 gives of Stephen. It's pretty cool. In the providence of God... Uh, my father's been preaching all the Acts sermons up until now. He had to go away this weekend. So Stephen gets to preach on Stephen. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is pretty cool. It, it is the reason why I was named Stephen. Um, so, yeah. But the descriptions of Stephen are awesome. In Acts chapter 3, verse 3, it says he was full of of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have a little half measure or, oh, maybe I'm full of the Holy... This was a, I know I am full of the Holy Spirit. How do you know if you're full of the Holy Spirit? Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but not every Christian does the Holy Spirit have you. 
Does that make sense? You're full of the Holy Spirit when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. When your finances are in submission to the Holy Spirit, when your thoughts, your actions, that is being full of the Holy Spirit. So he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Wisdom, Proverbs tells us how valuable wisdom is. This guy was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's not all it says about him. Verse 5, it says he was not only full of that, but he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Acts 11, uh, Hebrews 11 tells us the importance of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Then verse 8, it says he's full of grace and power. And then it says he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. You see, he had activation. He had the activation of the Holy Spirit. It's not just uh, the Holy Spirit. It's not just your head knowledge, but you're going to bear fruit. You're going to see power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what was talked about in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will. If you have the Holy Spirit, you will have power. There will be signs and wonders and miracles. And that's exactly what's happened throughout Acts that we've seen. And it continues to happen at this time. And then later, this description in Acts 6.15, it says, His face was like the face of an angel. I mean, that is amazing. Like, it's almost like Moses, after he came down on Sinai, his face glowed. So Stephen, I don't know if you just spent so much time in the presence of the Lord that literally there was this shining coming off of him. So this is an amazing guy, great descriptions. How many of you would like to have some of those words spoken of you? I mean, yes. Lord, right now, baptize us afresh with your spirit. Give us your power, full of power, wonders, signs, miracles, faith, Lord. Wisdom, give it to us, Lord. We want more. Amen. So Stephen was full of faith, the Holy Spirit. Without doubt, there's others who are walking in this same anointing. In verse 7, it shows the results of this. It's awesome. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Awesome. Greatly in Jerusalem. We're still in Jerusalem here. And a great many of the priests, these are the religious people, priests became obedient to the faith. So all these people are coming to Christ. We were at 50 to 75,000. This may be 75 to 100,000 now. We got 100,000 followers of Jesus. And all these people are saying that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, Jesus was crucified by the religious people who didn't think that he was the savior. They were expecting somebody who was going to come in and establish political rule and reign and build up the military and make their nation great. Okay, they were wanting a political spirit. This is the religious people asking for political power but they didn't see that in Jesus, so they asked for Jesus to be crucified. And they asked for him to be crucified by the, politi the political power in the time, 
the, the Romans. So you had the religious people and the political people crucify Jesus. Well, all these people were following Jesus, and it started to make the religious people really nervous. I mean, they were getting irritated. They were like, oh, what are all, all these high priests are going to follow the Jesus way? Uh, what are we going to do? And they're getting all nervous. Their religious spirits are just uh, activated. And in verse 9, it says that many of them gathered in the synagogue and they disputed. But they couldn't withstand the spirit and the wisdom of Stephen, verse 10. Verse 11, it says, They secretly instigated men who said, We have heard them speak blasphemous words. And then it goes on in verse 11 and 12, it says, You can circle the words, Set up false witnesses. False witnesses. These religious people were false witnesses. You see, they were twisting the truth. They were trying to please man. They were submitting to the political and the religious spirits of the day. So you can see on the screen here a difference between false witness and a true witness. We are called to be witnesses, amen? amen. We want to be true witnesses. Last week we looked at false witness, Ananias and Sapphira. This week we're looking at a true witness. Yes. You see the comparison. And I got to admit, a lot of times I look at the left side there and I say, man, I see myself up there. Oftentimes I am a coward. Oftentimes I do try to pretend like I'm here when really I'm only here. Oftentimes I'm too religious. Oh man, break that off of me. I grew up in the church, but I don't need to submit to that. Break off pride. Break off approval of man. How many, it's like, oh, I just wonder what they're thinking of me and what they're thinking. And like, you just go around trying to prove people. True witnesses do not live for the approval of man. True witnesses live, live for the approval of God. And more than anything, false witnesses live for the temporal, here and now. They're so concerned about everything here and now. True witnesses know that this is not their home. That their home is in heaven and that it's eternal. That's what a true witness is. And so you get these people who are false witnesses and they're concerned with the change in the customs. Oh boy, what if they change the customs? And they bring them before the high priest in Acts chapter 7 verse 1. And the high priest says, are these things so? And then Stephen responds. I just... This is an incredible speech. Um, it is 52 verses long. Acts 7, verse 2 through 53. It's the longest speech recorded in the book of Acts. And it's an amazing speech. And he's not just like, he sees that they are kind of questioning him. But he doesn't defend himself. Instead, he speaks to the truth. And he pulls out the Old Testament and gives like an Old Testament survey. Yeah. And he like holds up a mirror in front of their face and says, you're the one at fault, basically. Yeah. And I'll just summarize this speech with telling you three things. One is that throughout the speech, he says that God sends witnesses. 
He sent Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in verses uh, 2 through 8. In verses 9 through 16, it's Joseph. In verses 17 through 44, it's Moses. And then 42 through 50, it's Joshua, David, Solomon, and the prophets. These people were true witnesses telling the truth. But then throughout this historical Old Testament survey that Stephen does, uh, he shows them that people historically continued to reject these witnesses. They rejected Joseph. They rejected Moses. In verse 35, they said, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and judge? They rejected Moses, who was a true witness. But the third thing is, is that's awesome, that he says in this speech, is that God always rescues his people. I mean, throughout it, he says he rescues them. He sent Joseph to rescue Jacob in Israel. He sent Moses to rescue the Israelites. He sent the prophets to proclaim the rescue. And God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding. And st- I love reading the Old Testament because all these people keep making mistakes, but God just is so loving and kind and patient with them. And so he continues to be gracious. And it all comes to the conclusion with verses 52 through 53, well, really 51 through 53, Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Here's a guy full of the Holy Spirit saying that they are resisting the Holy Spirit. And then he says, which of the prophets did your forefathers not persecute? So there it is. Um, the prophets were, they resisted the true witness of the prophets. And then it said, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So he's saying, hey, Jesus was the ultimate truth teller. Jesus was the ultimate witness. But you rejected this true witness. But Jesus still loves you. He's gracious. And if you repent like the high pr- these other priests, it said that, that there were many priests who repented. They killed Jesus, but then they repented and they decided to follow Jesus. No matter how far you are, no matter what sin you are doing, you can repent. There is room at the foot of the cross for you. No sin is too great for you. Jesus was there and he, and he wants to forgive them. Well, he's just showing them that they murdered uh, Jesus and they get really mad, as you can imagine. Verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth. That grinding of teeth is what they'll be doing in hell. Everybody will be grinding their teeth. It's just like, oh, so mad. And they were just so angry. And without doubt, they were starting to pick up stones at this time. And then it goes on to say, that in verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, Ah! And they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they picked up stones and they killed him. And I think we have a picture of the actual, this is the actual site of where Stephen 
was known to be taken. A true witness. A true witness whose life ended early. I just love Stephen's response. You see, he saw, Stephen saw these guys gritting their teeth and he sees them to start picking up stones. And how does Stephen respond? It's incredible. In verse 55, Stephen says, well, actually, he doesn't speak first. Verse 55, it says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, he's still full of the Holy Spirit at this point. He's just given his message and they're starting to grit his teeth. He's full of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He gazed into heaven. Yeah. I love that. Gazed into heaven. If I was Stephen, I'd be looking at the guy with a stone in his hand or looking at the guy gritting his teeth, yeah. you know, you know, like I might be start wetting my pants or something. Like, what's going to happen? This is you know, my eyes would be fixed on the people that have stones in their hands. Some of them are huge, small, whatever they are. He knows what's coming. But what does he do? Looks up. He looks up. And who does he see? Jesus. He sees Jesus. And it's incredible. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This Jesus is not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's not even on this earth anymore alive. He's alive in heaven. And he's, at, he's right next to the Father. The, the lamb who is slain is now the lion of the tribe of Judah. The only one who can take the scroll. The one who has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. The one who started all things, stepped into earth, took on sin and death for our sake, is now at the right hand of the Father, and he's standing. It's one of the only, I, I, it might be the only place where he's standing. He's normally sitting, which is still cool, but he's standing. Standing, there's a number of things. He could be judging. Stephen sees that he will be the judge. He's the ultimate judge, amen? We're not called to judge other people. He's called to judge. He's standing because he's honoring. It's a place of honor. He's honoring Stephen. He's standing because he has the authority. He has the power. So Stephen sees this Jesus standing, and he's saying, it's worth it. Whatever comes at me is worth it. And so he doesn't just see it. He then speaks it. Because we're called to be witnesses. And to be a witness, we don't just see something, we tell something. Okay? He says it. And it's these words that actually kill him. Because, I mean, they were okay up, I mean, they were getting mad, but... When you tell them that Jesus is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, that's like too much for them. They can't handle that. And so he says it in verse 56. What does he say? He just says what he sees. That's what witnesses are. They tell it like they see it. 
They're truth tellers. And what does he see? Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Stephen is awesome, and he sees heaven. He sees that it's worth it. It's like Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Stephen sees heaven. He's not looking at earth. He knows it's going to pass away. He's looking heavenward. He knows that it's worth it. One of my heroes is Jim Elliott, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. Jim Elliott went to the college that I went to, but his life was taken from him at an early age. Jim Elliott died at the age of 28. Him and four other buddies went to Ecuador, and they went to be a truth teller, be a witness, tell the truth that Jesus is Lord. And he went there, and they threw spears at him, and they were murdered. Six and a half years prior to him dying, he penned these words in his journal. All of his journal entries are amazing. There's a book like that thick full of his journals that he wrote in college. This guy is six years younger than me when he died. But he wrote these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Can you say it with me? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jim knew, Jim Elliot knew that heaven is something you're not going to lose. And that this earth, you will lose. Every one of us will die. Whether you're dead at 10, at 10 20, 30, 100 years old, you will lose it. And you're not taking any of your stuff with you. So as much as you care about the stuff on earth, you're not taking it with you. He wrote these words, I'm going to give it all, this stuff on earth, to gain what I can't lose. When I was younger, when I was five years old, I used to love playing games with my younger brother. He's two years younger than me. And he was three and I was five at the time. And I would take two pennies and I'd say, hey, Andrew, I'll trade you two monies for one money. <laughs> well, him being at three years old, he didn't understand the worth of money. And so he walked away, oh, I got two monies. And I walked away saying, I got one money. I want to tell you this morning that we can trade in this for this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. I don't know how long your lifespan is. I don't know what God's given you, your talents, your time, your future. But I tell you today, give this so that you can gain this. We look heavenward. No matter what troubles this entails, no matter what sacrifice your life has. It's worth it when you look at this. It's so easy to just look at my own belly button and oh, my own pains and this struggle and I want to live for my, myself and feed my own pleasures and oh, I care about the way other people look at me and what other people think of me and you just think about yourself. 
But when you gaze up into heaven and you realize heaven, it's like this isn't even a good equation because heaven is like a hundred dollars, a million dollars. It's eternal. It never ends. So give everything you have now to gain what you cannot lose. He goes on, and it's amazing. Stephen goes on, verse 59. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. These are the very words of Jesus. As he's getting stoned, who knows how many piles of stones are on top of him. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said these very words in Luke 23, 46. You can look that up. Jesus said that on the cross, except he said, Father, receive my spirit. Stephen's saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, because Jesus is the only way of the Father. And then he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, those are the very words that Jesus spoke in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Here Stephen is, the very last breath, forgive them, Lord. Forgive them. We get cut off in traffic and we throw up a finger. Somebody veers in front of us and we sure curse word. Here he is getting stoned. Father, forgive them. What a model. What a champion. What a true witness. Faithful to the end. Forgiveness. And then it's amazing what happens afterwards. There's a saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. As those who witness, as those who give their lives to the very end, there is great witness that happens. And it's exactly what happens in chapter 8, verse 1. Saul is introduced. And Stephen's witness to Saul, Saul never forgot it. Saul never forgot Whoa! He's being faithful to the end. He's forgiving me. Whoa! I mean, he was taken aback, Saul. And then we'll see in the rest of Acts the impact that Saul, who was changed to Paul, has. Stephen was influential in witnessing to Saul who became Paul. Hallelujah. The blood of the martyr, Stephen, became the seed of the church. Hallelujah. And it says that the church was scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see, this is the Acts 1-8. We're going from Jerusalem, and now we're about to get into Judea and Samaria. It was Stephen's faithful witness in his death that brought about the gospel being spread to the nations. Incredible. I want to end just by sharing another story of two of my other heroes, Jim and Dee Sunda. Jim and Dee Sunda did not, their lives were not taken from them early, but they gave their whole life to Christ. They were in the United States, and God called them to serve in Irian Jaya, which is modern-day Papua, uh, Indonesia. And when they were traveling, they had to take a ship to get there. There was no airplane. And they were, it was only supposed to take them a month, but the Suez Canal was closed. So they had to go all the way around to Africa. It took them three months to get there. They got there. Nobody had ever seen a white person before when they got there. So they were like, 
the first to arrive. They had to learn a language. Then they took up, they were never trained as medical professions, but yet they did so many surgeries on people. They became dentists, pulling people's teeth and doing dental work. They were uh, teachers, without doubt. They were computer programmers. They, they, they did a computer program that automatically translated words. They were never trained in this. These guys were incredible people. They, uh, they went over there six years into their ministry. They led 3,000 people to come to Christ in one day. 3,000 burned their fetishes at once. I mean, these guys did amazing things. Emily and I had them over to our house uh, when we were first married. And I said, what, what's the one thing that you're most proud of? And they said, well, when we were flying out, we looked down and you saw hundreds of tin roofs. See, everything else was the jungle and grass huts, but the tin roofs, those were churches. Jim and Dee Sunda, when they led this one tribe to Christ, 3,000 people came to Christ. I mean, if I was them, I'd be like, that's a pretty good career. I think I'll go back to the United States, you know, live my comfy life. They didn't just stop at one tribe. They kept going. Even though there was reports of other villages where people were getting killed. Missionaries were going into other villages and they were getting killed. They knew the danger, but they kept going. And one time, Jim Sunday was with three other guys and they went down in this village and they arrived to people with stones and spears and bow and arrows. And so when they saw them, they started running, and they're running away. And they're like, Jim was hit with a stone. And one of Jim's friends had an arrow go through his shirt. But he loved these people. And he wanted to be a true witness. And these people needed Jesus. They ended up training one of the people that was led to Christ in the 3,000, and he went and was a faithful witness, and the whole tribe ended up accepting Christ. They went from village to village telling people about Christ, no matter what arrows were being put at them. They were willing to give their life for the Lord. And today, I have their shoes. This is Dee's shoes right here. Dee Sunda and Jim's shoes right here. They lived their life. I was blessed to know them. I look up to them. They're in heaven now. They've, they are now gaining what they cannot lose. They gave what they could not keep. They're gone. Their, their feet were in here. When Emily and I had them over, God led us to wash their feet. And I'll never forget Jim's feet. I mean, he had calluses on top of calluses on top of calluses. It was, those were real manly feet right there. But Jim and Dee are gone. Their feet will never be in here. But you and I, we still live. You and I are alive today. We still have breath. We still have time. 
We still have money. We still have a penny to live. Will you give it to the Lord? They're gone, but they have shoes to fill. There's still unreached people groups out there. There's still tribes that have never heard the name of Jesus. May we take our eyes off of our belly buttons. May we take our eyes off of things of this world, this, this penny. Richard, you've given your life. Don't stop now, man. Keep going. Sam, give your all for Jesus. He's worth it. Give it to the Lord so that we can gain what we cannot lose. Let's look at heaven, amen? Let's all stand together. We want to respond. Pete, if you could come. I know you give it your all. If you could just lead us in a prayer, lead us in a response. I look, Pete's a mentor of mine. <laughs> He's given his all. And I want to be like you, Pete. I want to be a Stephen that's a true witness. Do you? Let's all respond here. Let's give our lives fresh to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And our hearts are broken. For millions, billions, that live their lives without ever knowing or even hearing your name in such a way that they know that they can have a relationship with you. And God, you've called us to take this gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe and every tongue and every nation. God, if we're going to do that, it's going to take every one of us. So God, we stand here today and we give you all that we are, all that you made us, to go wherever you would have us to go. Take our pennies and turn them into dollars. May we be like Stephen. But so focused on heaven that the rocks of earth had no power over him. Because there will be rocks thrown. Make our focus you so we can help others see who you are. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor 